Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. My name is John Healy, joined on the other end telephone by Shane Ambrose, and uh, delight really to welcome into the studio again um, David Bracken, who is the archivist for the Limerick Diocese. And Shane, just before yourself and um, David start speaking, I just had to ask David, and David might share with the rest of the listeners, what's an archivist, please? Well, look, I work in the attic of the diocesan office. A very lonely so place. It, well, no, it's, it's, it's lovely. But yeah. So if you think of your own attic, and um, if you're fortunate enough to have lived in a house that maybe your parents and grandparents before you have lived in, mm. you think of all of the things that inhabit your attic, all of those dusty boxes that are filled with letters of long ago, um, love letters and letters from brothers and sisters who emigrated to America and England on and all of these places. Mm-hmm. I'm the man who tries to put some smock on, on on that collection. Um, if you think of the of of the, the centuries that the, that the diocese has been um, has been in existence. Now our collections don't go back to 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 um, the very beginning, mm. but um, we have a, a rich body of historical material relating to. Um, the Diocese of Limerick, its people and its priests. And I, in the, I'm in the very, very privileged position to be um, uh, trying to make that material, to make sense of it, um, with a view ultimately to making it available to researchers, mm-hmm. to the people of the diocese, um, to historians and really to anyone who, who has an interest. So I've just finished uh, the catalogue of um, Bishop John Young, and it was published in, in uh, late 2015. So that, that's uh, quite a rich late 18th century collection. Um, that uh, um, so as I say um, that's kind of what I'm at as I say very happy in the attic of, of, of the diocese now there you are Shane eat your hat out well there you go um, how are you Shane are you well I'm not too bad David and this is great to have you on <coughs> on this morning's programme now we brought you on for a purpose of course but you've been a busy man oh, well <laughs> yes keeping me out of trouble there yeah, but <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're keeping you out of trouble is right because you said you published that uh, um, back that notice about the collection back in late 2015 and we're just after having the official launch of your latest book now I should say of course you were the editor of the latest book that's correct yeah The End of All Things Earthly yeah can you tell us what is what it's about back in October um Bishop Leahy over coffee um Bishop Leahy is great um enthusiasm and energy and um he um, breezed in for a cup of coffee and he was scratching his head and he, you know, he was saying, David, I, I, I was thinking and when I hear him <laughs> and I, I, I was getting a bit nervous, but he said uh. to me, um, he, he thought there was um, a need for, um, that there was something missing in all of the commemoration and the discussion and the reflection that's been going on in this centenary year, that there was um, a little um, gap, um, specifically around the faith experience experience or the spirituality of the the leaders of of the rising. And um, he kind of twisted my arm. You can refuse your line manager, but you can't refuse your bishop. (laughs) So um, this little book, The End of All Things Earthly, is a collection um, of 
17 little pen pictures, very short pen pictures, um, that focus on the faith, the spiritual life of the 16 executed leaders. Um, it's a very accessible, one of the staff in the, in the um, office said it's very unthreatening. It's only 90 pages in length. But we asked contributors, and you're right, I edited the collection because um, the time frame being what it was, I mean, it's not really my area. Um, so what I did was I approached colleagues who were working in church archives, working in both diocesan and religious archives, and some academics that I know to write short vignettes on each one of the executed leaders and what we what the um, brief that we gave them was just to write taking um, an event in the person's life or um, a relationship in their life or even an item associated with a person as a point of departure just to reflect on their faith and on their spirituality. And what we've come up with, as I say, is is quite a lovely collection. In all, there were 18 contributors. There are 17 pieces. Um, as I say, many of the contributors were church archivists, the diocesan archivist in Dublin, and Noel Dowling contributed. The assistant Jesuit archivist wrote a lovely piece um, on Michael Mallon, and it's from that piece that the title of the book is taken, The End of All Things Earthly. Michael Mallon wrote to his wife Agnes the night before he died, really a quite a heartbreaking, heart-wrenching letter. My darling wife, pulse of my heart, this is the end of all things earthly. Sentence of death has been passed, and a quarter to four tomorrow the sentence will be carried out by shooting, and so must Irishmen pay for trying to make Ireland a free nation. God's will be done. And you have the sense, not only with the piece on Michael Mallon, but on, on, on many of the others, there's a lovely piece on Con Colbert that was written by a most wonderful member of the Franciscan community in Merchants Quay, Father Joe McGrath, you have a sense that when everything was taken away from these leaders, when the sense of the struggle and the politics were all stripped away, they were left facing death, looking at the four four walls of, of, of prison cells in Kilmainham, um, that what was left to them was family, friendships, the love of family, friends, and for many of them, their faith. And um, some of the, the 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 leaders, as I say, many of them were 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 people of faith. So um, I'm rambling now, Shane. Where? Oh, that's, 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 that's 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 as 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 good as introduction to the whole. Good. Yeah, as as I could want. I think we can imagine, and I think it gives listeners an idea. Of, of what the book of what the book is about, and, and just going back to it, I, I, I've read uh, I've read I've read it through it, and like you said, it, it's quite a short. Um, it's it's uh, it's a very accessible book. I actually lent a copy of it to a colleague I work with, right? And that was exactly his reaction. It was so reader friendly. It was so accessible, and it was so easy to get into and, and just go through. As you said, it's only about ninety three, ninety four pages. Yeah. But it's interesting actually that you picked out Michael Mallon because. Um, I actually have to say that was the one the, the pieces that were included with about him actually I have to say were one of the ones that really was really struck me and of course you know sometimes you know 
with the the, the, the way that the, the leaders have been held up as patriots and heroes and almost canonized down through the years of yes, yeah. history, you know, it's sometimes difficult to get to the people behind yeah. behind the images. And I love the quote uh, from his last letter to his wife, and he speaks of, my heartstrings are torn to pieces when I think of you and then of our manly James, happy-go-lucky John, shy, warm Una, daddy's girl, and oh, little Joseph, my little man, my little man. Yeah. Wife, dear wife, I cannot keep the tears back when I think of him. He will rest in my arms no more. To think I have to leave you to battle through the world with them without my help, what will you do, my own darling? And I, you know, to me, it is the most. It is, it's a beautiful little piece, and it's a, it's an, it's a, it's a gateway into an image of, as you said, of men that, at the end, all they had was was their faith. And I suppose something, it's something that's sometimes overlooked when we talk about the rising, because we're going to have an off. There's been an awful lot of coverage, coverage of it, obviously, because we're in the centenary year, and of course, facing into next weekend because next weekend, or sorry, the weekend after, rather, is the official commemorations in Dublin. Yes, but yeah. Of course, one of the things, you know, we sometimes forget is the very first line of the proclamation, which talks about Irish men and Irish women in the name of God and of the dead generations which she receives her tradition of nationhood. You know, at, at the very beginning of the whole process of the rising was this dedication and this recognition of the role of the divine in Irish culture and in Irish society and their understanding of the world, which I think is something perhaps that, as Archbishop Martin said um, back when he was being interviewed earlier in the year, we have, we have kind of lost, would you not, would you not think? Yeah, it's... it's um, I suppose there's, there's a certain embarrassment about things of faith. Um, and Gerodo uh, Thuhig, um, in his introduction, um, there's a very good, succinct piece. And Gerodo says that, I mean, inevitably, the centenary celebrations are viewed from, you know, a lens of our time that, that the celebrations are maybe seen through our own preoccupations, our own concerns, our own priorities. Um, and it's maybe hard for 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 us in the 21st century to enter into that different world view. But there's no doubt, as you say, that many many of the of of the leaders, um, and you've quoted from the proclamation itself, but that many of the leaders were people of faith. I just want to go back to Michael Mallon's piece. the 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 little man that's mentioned in the letter. Is now a 102-year-old Jesuit <laughs> in Hong Kong. I in Hong there. Kong, that's right, and he's to be awarded the freedom of the city of Dublin. Wow! wow. So, okay. like, it's extraordinary um, to think of him. Um, now, mm. I understand he's he's not going to come back to Ireland for that. Uh, I don't I don't know that he travels um, very very much now. Well, but at 102 years of age, I think we can understand. Absolutely, that. Mm. absolutely. But it, it's it's quite uh, um, as I say, quite moving. I the book was launched in. Dublin now there's a there's a Limerick launch coming up on Tuesday but it was launched in Dublin on Thursday and the the venue for the launch was the Capuchin Friary in Church Street and um, Father Brian Shortall the guardian of the community um, spoke before Bishop Lee he launched the book and it was really quite moving to hear him speak he was um, the Church Street Friary was 
um, at the centre really of there was quite a lot of fighting in the area of Church Street he was saying when the fighting broke out on that Easter Monday the friars the Capuchins they were actually at their dinner and they came out they heard gunshots and they came out to look and literally coming down the street to meet them were the walking wounded and one of the first people in fact to die during the rising was uh, a little baby of two years of age his mother um, or I'm not in fact sure whether it was a little boy or a little girl but they were on their way down to Fesh Matthew which was on on that Easter Monday in the Capuchin Hall mm. um, beside the friary and the little two year old was killed and caught in the, in, in, in the crossfire so w- when I heard Father, Father Brian speaking i suppose the, well, the hairs were standing on the back of my on the on the back of my neck really it was uh, really quite moving to be in the house where those capuchin friars the likes of father aloysius travers who features in this book and so many of the uh, of of the others the capuchins were extraordinary they set up a field hospital in that in the father matthew hall where they tended to the wounded but i mean not only them there were very many priests about 20 priests of the diocese of dublin that ministered to uh, um, the um, the combatants that that uh, consoled the people of Dublin, um, the Daughters of Charity. There was a wonderful set of photographs published in the Irish Times over the last two weeks. But there's a beautiful photograph of a member of the Sisters of Charity, the Daughters of Charity of Saint Vincent de Paul in her beautiful medieval splendour. You know those butterfly oh, habits that they wore. Absolutely, and she's distributing bread to a group of boys. And that was taken in the aftermath of the rising. So, as I say, I, I have been very surprised, actually, at how moved that that I've been on 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 various occasions. As I say, not least on 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 the occasion of the launch in Dublin, listening to Father Brian Shortall speak. I suppose I was also very very struck that um, the Capuchin successors in that house in Church Street, Brother Kevin Crowley has done great work with the homeless there. Mm-hmm. And Brother Kevin, to my mind, um, and the work that he's doing, I suppose uh, um, you talk about the Republic, Shane, um, that the, 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 uh, uh, the work that Kev, Brother Kevin is doing, to my mind, has redeemed redeems the republic and in very real way the work that the capuchins have done there and that are doing there um has done a, a great deal to redeem the image of the church and i know there were a couple of people there um on thursday night um who uh, one or two in particular i know who maybe would have difficulties with the institutional church but would have a great empathy and grow and attraction to the work of the friars so um on lots of different levels there were things going on for me i haven't really processed everything yeah. but, but the, uh, whole, the whole thing of course about faith and the rising it's it, it's it's a team which i suppose to some some expects as you said people we're almost unaware of it now and almost ashamed of it to a certain extent and like you know i suppose many people would have been familiar or aware of faith element for pierce you know, particularly coming from his poetry and that whole imagery of that he, in his writings of, you know, the idea of the, the rising as blood sacrifice and the association and the, the metaphor he used with, with Christ and Calvary. And then again, others, you know, we, we'd be familiar with Joseph Mary Plunkett and I see his blood upon the rose and in the star the glories of his eyes. And that poem that every, you know, every school person, every school boy and girl learns to a certain extent. Yes. You know, but, I, but as you said, there was other elements like the whole thing of, uh, that you include casement in, in, 
in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the leaders that were killed. And of course, Casement was hanged in London. Yes. And I haven't realised he, he, well, I don't know, did he convert or he came back to the church uh, just before he, he died. And of course, the same for Connolly. I think actually the Traver, uh, Father Aloysius's encounter with Connolly is an interesting one. Yeah, it, I, the, the, for me, I, I think the, the, there, there, there were a number of, the, of, the, of the, the executed leaders that were really eclipsed um, I go back to Malin. I I don't know that I would have been conscious of of of, of Malin at all. Um, Father Aloysius Travers. There's a photograph of him in the book, and um, he's quite an extraordinary character. He um, was very involved in the temperance movement and really saw temperance really as part of the national movement. Um, but his friendship with James Connolly. Travers was with Connolly when he was shot um, and was really quite moved. Um, um, It was, as I said, he didn't know him before the Rising. He came to know him um, in in the days afterwards, but really, as I say, was, was, was very, very moved by Connolly's death. As he says, um, all he could do afterwards was, 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 was go and offer, offer the Holy Sacrifice uh, for him. But, I mean, Connolly, in, and as reported, conversations reported by Father Travers, speaks very highly again of the ministry of, of priests and nuns in, in, in Dublin during, during the Rising. People like, um, like the, the, the young sculptor Willie Pierce. Now, I was in school in St. Clement's College, but um, going up and down there, I never realised that the, the Pierce family. Um, they, the, the, the sculptors um, were responsible for one of the statues, the statue I think of St. Patrick on the facade of of, of Mount St. Alphonsus. But Willie Pierce was, an, was really a very, very gifted sculptor. And I suppose the sense I have reading his story, he was such a young man when he died. And the, the, I suppose the loss in terms of promise. Also, the, Ned Daly, the Limerick man from Barrington Street, he was only 25 or 26. Um, you know, to bring it and to bring it back to West Limerick, you know, our own Colin Con Colbert, Colbert, yeah. Well, you know, I, to be honest, like you, I, I suppose it's a, it's a, it shows a deficit in some respects of the Irish education system. Con had never really registered with me, and yeah. I'm from, you know, we're from Limerick. Yeah, well, you see, I, I think in par- you see, I'm, I was trying to locate uh, uh, when part of my reticence in terms of taking on the project. It wasn't only the very very short time frame. <laughs> it wasn't only the fact that it's really not my area. But I, I, it, I, I would have been a little bit shy of of 1916, and I was trying to put my finger on why that was the case. During the 25th anniversary of the Rising, I was in fifth year in school, and I can I can remember, and I was doing history. I can't remember one blessed thing about the 25th anniversary. It was a complete non-event. Well, the, no, you mean the 25th now or the 75th? The, the 75th, rather. I beg your pardon. I'm, I'm yes, sorry. The 75th, yeah. Um, but again, I was thinking my time in school was framed by, on the one end, Enniskillen. Was Enniskillen in 87? Mm. And the Warrington bombings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm. it, it was... Um, it was really, um, it was a well that was poisoned by the yeah. troubles. Mm. Um, and I, I suppose what, 
what this project has given me, um, and I'm really delighted that I, underto- uh, that, that, that I undertook it with, with Bishop Lee's, I won't say, I don't know whether it's encouragement or, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's given me the opportunity kind of to, to discover, I won't even say to rediscover, but mm-hmm. to discover so much. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the very positive things about the decade of centenaries, that um, a lot of new material has come to light. There have been wonderful pro- uh, projects. Thinking of another project that the Limerick Diocesan Archive contributed to, it's called the Letters of 1916 Project. They invited private individuals, private archives, um, public institutions to contribute material. It was digitised. It's now available online. And I, you know, I think there's there's really a sense in which our understanding of of the events um, surrounding 1916 have been deepened. Um, and I suppose this little book, I suppose that it occupies a, a place, a position between two extremes, the hagiography of the past. You know, I mean, in my grandparents' house, above a piano that was never played, was a picture of the. It was uh, a print of the the leaders in Last Supper-like, and on the other wall was Pierce, and a little bit down from him, him Hanrahan. So, I mean, there was a real sense in Irish homes in which they were they were, they were were almost canonised. Mm-hmm. And this little book occupies, I suppose, a space between that hagiography, that, that and on the other extreme, a present that's, as, as you've alluded to, that's maybe even em- embarrassed just to discuss the things of faith. Um, um, but... Um, yeah, again, I'm rambling, Shane. Bring no, me back okay. to where... No, that, 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 no. That's, it's, it's, as you said, it, it covers that space that's needed, I think. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important contribution to the understanding of these men and women. Because I think, like you said, for, for any of us of our generation and younger, David, as you said, the whole concept of the leaders and the concept of 1916, as you said, I think that's a great term used, was a poisoned well. And for us, you know, we were dealing with where they were ambushed and they were, if you say, uh, taken by a particular view of history and a particular political ideology. And I suppose that is the one benefit that comes out of the 1916 commemorations is that it gives gives us an opportunity to take back the, the rising, if you like, from politics to a certain extent and say, well, what is it that drove these men and women? to do what in most assessments it was a military disaster and a military failure and while it was for love of you know love of nation love of place love of country there also as this book i think you know brings out very much love of faith um, you know, and, and, and it was interesting as well that you know one of one of Con Colbert's piece of advice to the men that he was mustering in Dublin uh, before the rising was that they weren't all to go to mass to receive communion at the same time because it would be a dead giveaway to those that were watching them from the British and uh, from the Dublin Metropolitan Police. Right. You know, and it was you know it was it's just, it's just it was just to go to show how you know important faith was, and I have to say the whole rebellion series that was done in RT, I was actually very put out and disappointed by the way they. Presented the faith aspect of it, like you know, it was a, it was a caricature of an attack on the Archbishop of Dublin and the priests of the Pro Cathedral in many respects. And it wasn't fair, like you said, about the contribution of the Carmelites or the contributions of the priests of the Pro Cathedral to the care of the people that were affected. First and foremost, the ordinary citizenry of Dublin, um, but also the care that was given and the sacraments and the consolation, because it, they were such an important part for the men and women that fought during the Rising. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I didn't. I didn't watch the series. Um, you didn't miss much. <laughs> um, but I, I, I suppose um, the yeah. It, it, the the. I suppose I'm struck um, by the the at the turn of the century. Um, the, the strands that were, were I'm just thinking of the person of Thomas Kent and um, there's a wonderful piece it's, it's probably one of my favourite pieces it's by an academic based in Galway um, Garode Barry and he takes as a starting point um, Kent's um, temperance badge his pioneer badge which he gives to the chaplain in, 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 in Cork be, be, before he dies he's one of two of the leaders that doesn't um, casement as you say was executed in London and, and Kent dies in Cork, but um, Kent's story is really, really interesting. He was he had a passion for for Irish culture. Like he emigrated to the States, and as a young man, and a nineteen year old, he set up this a Philo Celtic society. Now I don't know too many nineteen year olds today that are. So I, I'm really, I suppose, struck by their the engagement. These were people that that really engaged with life. There's um, an American author who I love. Bausch is his name. His first name escapes me. He has a lovely little book. If um, any of the listeners ever get a chance, or if you see it, it's called The Yellow Brick Road. There's a, a chapter in it, and he, it's on the, the seven deadly sins. And he talks about... Um, um, Sloth, a kind of a spiritual sloth or an intellectual sloth. Um, you know the the response that you'll sometimes get from from people. I was going to say teenagers, but that's to be a little bit unfair. I, I'm, I, you know, when you're talking about something and somebody says whatever, you know, yeah. the, 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 there's a kind of a the, the lack of engagement sometimes. Um, what I'm struck about these people. Now you might you you can definitely disagree with their means, but I, I'm just very very taken with how engaged they were, whether it was um, um, the love for the language mm, or mm. Um, Irish culture or, or Irish music. Uh, these were people who kind of poured themselves into life. And uh, um, th- th- I, I just find that, and whatever was happening, you had all of these strands, as I said, faith, music, language, um all coming together um, and 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 producing uh, something quite quite unusual unusual I'd say something quite wonderful. So had you the poets, you had the dreamers, you had the educationalists, you had the artists. Um, so a really quite extraordinary moment. Um, but uh, um, as I say, I. I I, uh, the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling again, Shane. You'll have to bring, you'll have to bring me home. I see, Shane. Bring it, I suppose to bring it to bring it to a close on this part of the program. I suppose I would say to you, it's a very well written. It's a very, it's a beautiful collection of short vignettes. Uh, it's called uh, the End of All Earthly Things. It's edited by David Bracken. David, you said the launch is going to be this week coming in. Yeah, it's in, 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 in Mary Eye. It's in Mary Eye on Tuesday night at half past six. If any of your listeners, they are most welcome to come along if they find themselves in town. No problem. And, and uh, we'd be delighted to see them there. Exactly. At half past six on Tuesday night. And of course, as Gabo used to say, it's an all good bookshops. <laughs>
Oh, very good. <laughs> Thank you. Now, to close out this part of the programme, John, you have a piece of music. I have a piece of music. And again, thanks so much for that, David. I really enjoyed that. I learned so much myself. I think it's beautiful. It's the first time that I've heard the face dimension being brought into this 1916 celebration. But anyway, we'll, we'll finish up this part with a little bit of music, both David and, and, and Shannon, a little bit of a break. We'll go out with uh, one we thought might be appropriate. Um, this one is entitled Faith of Our Fathers, and it's from Frank Patterson. So let's hit this song. Sacred Space on West Limerick 102.